bringing progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. If you value what we do, we could sure use your support, folks. Uh, visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website. Help keep this program rolling forward. And if you run a business or a nonprofit, you know, consider becoming a sponsor. Uh, speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's uh, my grocery store, locally owned, and a specialty food store as well. Gateway's Cafe is open for dining, carryout, and delivery service seven days a week. You can order groceries online, and they've also got a floral and catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Also, thanks to Groovy Goods. That's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You can learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. Today, we are discussing the verdict in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Joining me in the studio is Dr. Charles Goldman. If you're listening on Facebook, we are taking callers. You can join the conversation by texting your name and where you're from to 515-519-6323. That's 515-519-6323. You know, there is a whole lot of anger and anguish over this ruling, Charles. And, I mean, understandably, uh, it is hard to argue that Rittenhouse uh, didn't murder two people. Yet, um, a jury of his peers, as it's called, uh, found him innocent on all, or not guilty, acquitted him on all counts. Charles, what's your take on the verdict? So, um, my take on the verdict is that within the question that was being asked, which is within the laws in Wisconsin as they relate to a definition of self-defense, it was the correct verdict. How it became a question of white supremacy or Second Amendment rights, I'm actually <laughs> unclear about. Uh, I think this is a discussion that should revolve around the danger that's created by this, uh, per, you know, the perversion of the notion of self-defense, which has been characterized by uh, the last 20 or 30 years, which is that we've moved from, you know, for those originalists out there, we've moved from the English common law, uh, which is truly the basis of uh, American, the American Constitution in many ways, um, whereby it was about defense of your castle. It was essentially the right to defend what you, your property and your family, um, but not to aggressively set up situations in which the need for force was increased by your actions. And of course, we've seen this before, right? This, this is a version of, you know, uh, what happened down in Florida with uh, Trayvon Martin, Trayvon Martin yeah. and George Zimmerman, Zimmerman right, right. where um, you, bring, you bring weapons into a situation and then the excuse for everything becomes, I could have had my weapon taken and turned against me. Well, ironically, if we want to look at the history of why the CDC was told by Congress in the 80s that they could no longer do any kind of public health research into the issue of the proliferation of guns in the United States. It was a study that was done, I believe, in Baltimore, in which they showed that in communities of color where there was uh, you know, increased use of handguns for protection in your home, all they ended up doing was either being turned against you or turned on yourself in suicides. 
And so that, in fact... Well, I mean, wasn't it really the NRA that put the kibosh on the CDC, uh, the proposed well, CDC study? That's correct. Well, no, the study had already been done. Okay, but to basically to put a lid on them so they don't get, don't get to see the light of day much. Well, no, I understand that. But yeah. my point is, is that that's the reality. I mean, we have a fantasy of self-defense by people who are untrained. And if anything, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse exemplifies the kind of person who could possibly, not possibly, have responded in a rational way placed into a chaotic situation. A chaotic situation which was... Placed himself into a chaotic situation. Well, but the, but the chaos was a function not just of what he did. The chaos was a function of the police not really controlling the situation in any substantive way. Kind of like they did at the U.S. Capitol for, you know, on January 6th. Right. And <laughs> well, I think they might have tried harder there. Actually. Well, they, they did try harder there. And there also, you know, not, not bringing in additional force to assist the police. And it, this, also, this also brings up the issue of a lot of Americans don't see looting and burning as just simply social justice protests. And, you know, there's a lot of intellectuals who I, I, you know, generally, you know me, if it's from the left, I'm kind of with them. But I really don't want to be told by a bunch of, of left, you know, of leftist intellectuals that looting is really a, uh, is, is a, as long as it's against property and nobody's hurt, then it's all fine because it's legitimate when you're, you know, uh, blows against the empire of the cis heterosexual you know, white supremacist uh, culture. It's not. And it, <laughs> I'm sorry. You're just not going to win a lot of arguments. And it was total chaos there for reasons of both parties being there. It was total chaos because it, it, it was... I'm not saying that there wasn't a reason to protest. Now, you've been involved in a lot of protests. Have you been involved in protests in which you burn things down? You know, I've never been tempted to burn anything down. <laughs> no, but uh, I have seen things burned down. Uh, probably the most violent protest I was at actually was in Paris, uh, just before the UN Climate Summit in 2015, uh, when the French government banned the intended uh, peaceful climate march. And there were those who responded by saying, well, if, it's, if you're going to ban a peaceful one, we'll do something a little different. And that got a bit ugly. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the closest I came to tasting uh, tear gas. Uh, I, I did get a little bit of a taste of it. Well, what it's, about um, your work, let's say, with the water protectors up in the Dakotas? Well, well the, the Dakota Access Pipeline, which was as much a struggle here in Iowa as it was up in North Dakota. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I've seen what happened up there. And I mm -hmm. also know that here in Iowa, we got a sanitized version of arrest compared to the response that uh, Native peoples uh, in North Dakota received. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, we're, we're getting a little far afield here, Charles. I want to bring this back. Um, you know, there's a huge chunk of America that feels this verdict was wrong. They, 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 you know, they, I mean, there's so many different angles you can look at this from. Mm -hmm. But they see this guy, you know, who, who previously made indications that, um, that, that seemed sympathetic to white supremacy, that seemed sympathetic to using a gun to defend property, to shoot protesters. Uh, and he shows up and he kills two people. And I understand why people are really, really upset with that verdict. I mean, here's, here's a guy who basically murdered two people and got off scot-free. That's how a lot of people see this. No, I understand that. But you don't they see weren't sitting in the, in the courtroom. They didn't sit through the hours of the 
various views of this, which showed what a uncontrolled situation it was. Um, and when you read their critique, their critique is about things that, that are not part of this criminal case. I don't disagree that there's two justice systems in this country. I don't disagree that because he's a, a white teenager, he gets a different treatment. Okay. But that has nothing to do with why this jury, when he basically when he killed and severely injured two, you know, three white people, how is white supremacy a factor in that decision? Uh, let's go to our phone lines again. Sure. If you want to join the conversation with myself, Ed Fallon, and Dr. Charles Goldman, uh, 515-519-6323. Again, don't call that number. Send us a text message. We will call you right back. It's 515-519-6323. Let's go to our phone and welcome uh, Joel to the program. Hello, Joel. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Good. What's your um, response to our conversation so far, Joel? Well, I've been trying to listen to the conversation, but it's, um, I mean, as far as the, we were talking about Kyle Rittenhouse, I mean, I, you know, I guess my view is that it was, it was very clearly a case of, of self-defense. If you watch the video, you know, he's, he's obviously being attacked. I mean, and one of the things that I've heard that I really, um, you know, I, I keep hearing over and over, you know, he traveled across, across state lines, he traveled across state lines. You know, and it's kind of designed to make it sound as if he, you know, went there to shoot people. But what he was actually doing is helping protect his grandparents' gas station um, while the looting and the burning and the rioting was going on. You know, and all of this kind of happened in the context of, of, of that. I mean, he had just finished stopping or helping stop a, a burning uh, dumpster that was being shoved toward the gas station. I've heard that, Charles. Right that, before he attacked. Is that, is that, is, so, is, I mean, he was, he was not doing, you know, he wasn't there looking for trouble. He was... Well, but Joe, but Joel, Joe, Joe, Joe how, how can he not I'm be, sorry, Joe, how can he not be looking for trouble? He comes to a protest that, that's going to be volatile with, with an AR-15. How, how is that not looking for he, trouble? He, well, yeah, but he came, well, but he came to a protest to help protect his grandparents' property after the local government told the police to stand down and let the rioting proceed. I mean, that's what happens when government doesn't do its job. People take it into their own hands. He didn't, you know, and clearly when, when that encounter started, if you watch the video, he was actually heading for the police. So he was trying to get away from them. He was trying to head in the direction that there were some police. You know, I mean, one of them, Rose, Rosenbaum, um, in fact, one of the witnesses for the prosecution said, well, yeah, he, uh, he said, you know, um, F you and reached and grabbed for the gun or reached for the gun. You know, and, and none of these guys were self-defense. You know, none of them were, were sweethearts. They were there because there was rioting going on and they were taking advantage of it. Well, Rosen, well, Rosenbaum actually had just been released from a psychiatric assessment from a, a hospital. I mean, he, he, I doubt he was there because of any particular, uh, anything but the disorder. I don't know that he had any great political, you know, stance. No, I, I, no, I, I suspect not. I mean, you know, and I mean, he was the creepiest of all of them, actually. I mean, the, the guy that survived had kind of the lightest record, but... 
You know, well, the guy that survived, and of course that that wasn't. You know, it's amazing to me that in all this, the months leading up to this, I mean, and, and you know, look, Rittenhouse was a tool of of, of right wing interests also, at, you know, and they they love this kind of, well, you know, this this is the kind of. Uh, Western mystique, you know. Uh, I'm talking about Westerns, not like, <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not not like Europe, Europe and, right, yeah. and and the Americas. Uh, you know that they that this is what happens. I mean, I was in Mogadishu. Okay, if you want to see anarchy, this is what anarchy looks like, and this is what happens in anarchy. Joel, uh, thanks for your call. Um, hey, I want to um, give a couple other people a shot to uh, join the conversation. I got to take a short break. Um, Again, if you want to join the conversation, you can text us at 515-519-6323. Tell us your name, where you're from. That's, again, 515-519-6323. Uh, Ed Fallon and Charles Goldman with you, folks. A short break and back with you in a minute. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Back to the program. Again, this is Ed Fallon, your host, Charles, Charles Goldman, is with me in the studio. Give us a shout. Uh, go to the live stream on Facebook, and uh, you can check out uh, how to get in touch with us and join the conversation. Hey, I want to thank uh, local businesses that support this program, including Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays. By appointment, that's Western Optometry. Thanks also to our local business partners, including Story County Veterinary Clinic. That's where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Our cat loves her, our chickens love her, I think. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page at Story County Veterinary Clinic. All right, uh, Charles, um, you know, I, I think more people would expect that a hardcore progressive like yourself would just say no verdict is wrong this is terrible uh, this should never this is the, the judge was clearly empathetic with white supremacist values the jury was clueless um, I, I mean that that's a lot of what I'm hearing and reading and seeing online and elsewhere is that people are just furious and I think don't you think some of the rage is even if some of that analysis may be um, not fully informed isn't some of the rage understandable yeah but do you want to send a then 17, I guess now what, 18, 19-year-old to prison for, remember, these were three counts of intentional murder. 
And I think if, if you watch what little of the video they made available during the trial, I think you'd have a hard time saying this was intentional murder. Um, and I, I just, it's, it's real, it, you, this is a criminal trial. Criminal trials are not the place for politics in many ways. If you want to make a political point about white supremacy, make it in a case in which it involves white supremacy. Okay. He, the decision by the jury had nothing to do with white supremacy. Hey, let's go to our phone lines again. Let's welcome uh, John to the program. Hello, John, how are you? Doing well. Um, I, I think your guest has certainly made some, some good comments. Um, I, I would, though, strongly disagree that this was not a political decision. Um, Do you think the jury's decision was political? I think the framework in which it happened was entirely political. Okay. Uh, the judge did not seem to be unbiased, certainly had the appearance of favoring the defense, which quite honestly is unusual in, uh, in uh, most, uh, most legal situations, but it uh, certainly is the impression that uh, has been created. Uh, the jury was certainly not uh, very diverse. My understanding is there was one um, person of color on the original 18 or 17 uh, pool, and I don't know how, what happened after the lottery to have the actual 12, but one member of, one person of color is certainly not a very diverse jury in right. a case like this. And Kenosha is not a very diverse city. Well, that's true, but my understanding is the percentage of uh, people of color is higher than one out of 12. Okay. Well, one, but actually, one out of 18 was the original. Right. You know, there, were, there were 18 jurors, uh, and then they narrowed it down at the end to at 12 who actually went into the jury room. John, let me, let me see if Charles wants yeah, to jump John, in here. Why do you think having more black jurors would have led to a different verdict? Because this was a racially charged situation. This whole thing happened in the context of, a, of racial protests. No? But how, how it, that's, not what, that's not what was being tried. What was being tried was an ill-advised white teenager who never should have been, had that weapon there shoots three other white people. So his motivation was he identified, are you saying he identified these white people as fellow travelers with, with black social justice causes? Is that why he shot them? If you recall the OJ trial and the polling that was done after the decision, the perspectives of people, uh, as far as the verdict, was very much different in the black and white communities. Well, no, that, that, that's absolutely true, but I'm not sure how that affects Rittenhouse's case. Juries bring in their life experiences. But in, in any case, I, I think going forward, the key things to take away from this is that 17-year-olds should not be allowed to have weapons. Okay, I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> right, that, that certainly transcends <laughs> any political side. But, but there's, a, there's a huge chunk of America that disagrees with that, that thinks that 17-year-olds, yeah, anybody should be able to have whatever weapon they want. Well, and assault weapons inherently exacerbate or escalate situations. If it had been a small handgun, the situation probably would have evolved a lot differently. 
Yeah. All right. Well, John, I appreciate the phone call. Thanks. Thanks for weighing in. Uh, folks, if you want to join the conversation, 515-519-6323. Text. Don't call. Text that number, 515-519-6323. If you're listening on our radio stations or the podcast, if you want to be a part of the live conversation ever, just remember Monday, 4 o'clock Central Time, we live stream this on Facebook, and that's when we take callers. What bothers me more than anything is the aftermath of this trial, how some pundits on the political right and extreme organizations are using it or are kind of glorifying Rittenhouse. But they're glorifying him before the trial. Yeah, but now that now he's getting even more glory. He's getting offered internships at the U.S. Capitol. He's, um, he's, uh, he's being, you know... Um, right, and he was photographed at some yeah. restaurant down in Florida... Yeah, yeah, smiling away. Who wouldn't be smiling away if they just were acquitted of? Well, okay, right, but, <laughs> but, but I, I mean, it's the politi- the the, politiz- the politicizing of this is is detestable, um, and again, that happens on both sides. But the I think the the, the extent to which the right wing is willing to um, continue to lift up this guy. I mean, we what, what's the, what's the fellow's name in Missouri who uh, he and his wife came out at a BLM protest with. With assault weapons. Oh, the one who's running for he's not the running Senate. For the, US Senate. He's running for the Senate. The two, the two personal injury lawyers. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's running for the U.S. Senate. I mean, oh, I just how. Well, but but you you you're talking about the fetishization of weapons in this country. Okay, that's a different problem from was if you were sitting on the jury ed. Are you telling me that you would sit in the jury room and say we're going to send the message to the right wing? We're going to convict this kid of these three murders because it'd be good politics. Yeah. No, is, I wouldn't. Is that what I, no, you I would do? not. First of all, I've never been seated on a jury, and I don't think I ever would be. I have too many opinions, and you probably wouldn't, wouldn't be Well, then they actually <laughs> called me a couple months ago, and I told them that I felt that uh, possession was solely a mental health problem <laughs> and shouldn't have nothing to do with the criminal uh, system. They immediately threw me off. Hey, let's, uh, uh, <laughs> let's uh, go to our phone line here. Uh, oh, hang on. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's, uh, it's Darth Vader. <laughs> Welcome to the program. My, my favorite host co-host, Chuck Goldman. How are you, Frank? Chuck, Chuck and I go way back. I know, I know. Do- I Dr. Talking Dr. Dr. Chuck. No, you, no. It, it's Chuck. It's fine. Because <laughs> in the end run, he always ends up agreeing with me for some reason. <laughs> well, I'm not surprised, Frank, hey, that you and I are on the same side oh, on this. I am. So basically, if you rem- if you go back to the Baltimore Freddie Gray thing, you remember we had Stephanie Rollins Blake basically say, let them burn some stuff. You know, if we didn't have impotent governors, impotent mayors, defunding and handcuffing our police, we wouldn't have vigilante. Even if you think Kyle Rittenhouse is the worst vigilante on the face of the earth, Kyle Rittenhouse wouldn't have had to have been there if the police would have been doing their job and not letting these governors and mayors burn down our cities. Well, that, that's a good question, Frank. I mean, for, Charles, what... what well, what, what, did, did, I, I agree did, with Frank there, but there's also the fact that the, the police tend to be sympathetic to a lot of these these right-wing groups. We know that. Um, so that I, I think that they were disinclined. You could make the argument, why aren't they disarming all these people on both sides? The other problem is the third gentleman who was shot was brandishing a gun at the time he was shot by Rittenhouse. Hmm. I don't know how you can argue well, the, that that is not a self-defense scenario. One of them was brandishing a skateboard. Well, he was hitting with a skateboard. 
Right. But that gets, again, that gets back to the issue of when you bring weapons into the mix, the argument, just like Zimmerman, just like Rittenhouse, becomes, I was going to lose my weapon, it was going to be turned on me. That's the actual fact of what happens to most weapons at people's houses, is they're turned on them. It's, it's a fallacy. Well, that's the... That's, Go ahead, Frank, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's the thing... That's the thing that they say really turned the trial was this testimony of this Gage uh, Grossquist, right, whatever his name is. He acknowledged he had a gun, acknowledged he was pointing it and pulling it out and pointing it at Rittenhouse. And Rittenhouse fired and apparently shot part of his bicep off. But that basically right there, self-defense wrapped in a nutshell. I mean, would it make you feel any better, Ed, if Gage had killed Rittenhouse? you think Rittenhouse would have the same media circus trial that, uh, you know, or do you think Gage would have the same media circus trial that Rittenhouse has had? Hard had to say, Frank. Gage I'm got the better of Rittenhouse? Not a fan of anybody being shot, left or right, white or black. Well, I agree with that, that too. Don't sad. get me wrong. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, again, I'll make my point again. If these impotent mayors and governors would have called in the, the, the National Guard and got control of this stuff and not let the chaos ensue, like Charles was rightfully saying, but again, what, got chaos. But again, what about you got, you what got a, people armed to the teeth on both sides? Yeah, but what about Charles's point that maybe the police, who tend to sympathize with you know, the the Republican, the, the the right on this, maybe they chose not to bother to intervene because it was a protest uh, of about racial because injustice. Because you got because Ed, you got mayors and governors. You had you, you remember when the, the People were throwing water buckets of water on the police in New York City, and the the the, the mayor and the governor wouldn't stand by their own police department. I, I mean, remember. when they killed that one guy for selling uh, black market cigarettes on the sidewalk, you remember that case? No. Yes. The mayor <laughs> yes. Bloomberg yes. was was telling the police to crack down on black market cigarette sales because it was infringing on the taxes that the city was getting from real cigarette sales. So what do you want? You tell the police to go out and do something, then when they do it, you don't stand by the police that you told them what to do. Well, I mean, this, you know, Frank, that, that leads to the other issue. In fact, I was just having this discussion with a, a former state police officer uh, you know, yesterday, and we were talking about the fact that if you want to de-escalate what's going on between the police and, and the general population, stop making everything a crime. You know, stop stopping people for deodorants hanging from the rearview mirror. Take a picture of their license plate, send them a ticket. Stop stopping people for minor possession charges. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to, to catch them you know, with these minor drug possession charges. We bring the police into, you know, conflict with people over things that are so ridiculously minor. And then we have all these situations where the force is, you know, taken up in, in such an excess way. But I, I, I really agree with Frank, which is that it, it's just too simplistic to argue this is white supremacy right. or it's, you know, that, uh, that there weren't enough... Of, you know, people of color on the jury. The problem was it was a total chaotic situation, and this is exactly what it looks like, and this is what you get when you make self-defense and your castle portable on your back so that you get to shoot anybody who potentially th might threaten you. 
Frank, uh, thank you so much for the call. And uh, Charles and Frank agreeing that's a, that doesn't happen too often. <laughs> Put that down in the, uh, in the, in the diary. Hey, um, I've got to take a short break here, folks. If you want to join the conversation, if you're listening to our live broadcast, 515-519-6323, text your name and, a, and hometown, and we'll get back to you, bring you into the conversation. Again, Charles Goldman with me. Um, we're going to take a short break and be right back. Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the uh, program, folks. Ed Fallon with you here. Charles Goldman, or now Chuck Goldman, joining me in the studio. Uh, <laughs> we're discussing the verdict in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And you're welcome to join the conversation if you're listening on Facebook, 515-519-6323. Uh, so there's so many layers to this, Charles. Uh, you know, I, I, there were, all right, Tulsi Gabbard. Former, uh, well, still a Democrat, <laughs> former Democratic <laughs> congressman, congresswoman, uh, frequent uh, Fox News host uh, or news guest, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of uh, in interesting places when it comes to I- issues. I think she surprised a lot of people by a very, very brief statement without a lot of detail, without a lot of explanation, saying the jury got it right. And her, uh, the feed on that post on Facebook, I'd say almost half the respondents were. I used to support you. You've lost me. I'm done. I'm gone. Uh, I don't. I don't respect you anymore. I voted for you. No more. Um, okay. So let's so let's let's that, talk about that. Ed, okay. Just for one second before we go to the calls. Okay. Number one. What is the standard in a criminal trial for being found guilty beyond reasonable doubt? Right. What's the standard in a civil trial? More likely than not. Okay. If you want to make policy, if you want to use the courts to make policy, you're far. It's a far better route. To go the civil route, where your standard of evidence is much hot, is much lower. They didn't meet beyond a reasonable doubt because if you, it, it the prosecution literally put up witnesses there that made the case for Kyle Rittenhouse, and then their handling of the drone footage and the fact that they seemed to give a copy to the defense that was not as good as the copy they had, um, made it seem like they were trying to hide something. And so a jury sitting there saying, "We're told beyond a reasonable doubt." It doesn't matter what the instructions are from the judge. That's the standard. That's what, they, that's what every judge is going to tell them. A lot of people who have been in that courtroom with the judge on other cases said this is exactly how he behaves. And in fact, in a criminal case, in particular a capital criminal case, or at least a, 
a capital crime criminal case. The judge is in fact supposed to be favoring the rights of the defendant hmm. for that very reason. Now, would he have done it if this were a black defendant? I don't know. Yeah. I well, don't know. <laughs> hey, let's go to our phone lines again, 515-519-6323. Text us. We'll call you and bring you into the conversation. Uh, Tony from uh, Cedar Rapids. Yeah. Tony, hello. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, Charles Chuck. Uh, <laughs> talked earlier about English common law and uh, how we, and, and I think what you were saying was we've kind of moved away from that and uh, that principle and made self-defense uh much harder to prove. Am, am I right in that? Well, no, self-defense is much easier to prove because we've, we, as I said, we've put the castle on our back and you can take it out in the street even if, if you're the aggressor. I mean... Right, right. That's, that's what I meant to say. That yeah. it's e easier for the defendant to prove. It's harder for the um, prosecution to disprove it. Is that's correct. <laughs> so my question is... Um, we believe in our constitution that people ought to have freedom of speech and freedom of, to protest. Uh, people who are religious believe that in all religions, not just Christianity, that we ought to love thy neighbor. So if those are our values, we have moved away from a situation where we allow freedom of speech peacefully and where we <laughs> work hard at loving thy neighbor, and we have a much more volatile and dangerous situation where vigilantes can go and provoke uh, a situation. Uh, as, as Ed, as you said at the outset, you know, most people who are just ca casually observing this said, this is an outrageous verdict, but, you know, and as Chuck Charles said, <laughs> um, Thanks, Frank. It, it, was, it was according to the law because the law was nutty. So how do we, my question is, how do we fix the law? Well, it, it's a good question because, well, specifically in, in Wisconsin, the law is basically dumps it in the lap of the jury. It really doesn't, it's not a very well written law. It's, it's, it, in fact, the judge had a hard time giving instructions from this law. Right. That's, so that's one problem specifically there. The other is that, well, we know here in Iowa, the trend is exactly in the opposite direction from what you're talking about, which is the, these pre-written stand-your-ground statutes that right. nobody was particularly asking for um, suddenly appear all over the country, and I think half the states already have them. And, and in some of the states, the way they're written, you can basically be the aggressor and that is not count. That is not considered a deterrent to your still claiming self-defense. Right. right. Um, and there's no demand any longer, which it had been in the past, for retreat if possible. Right. So, it's if you want to change these laws, you're going to have to change the the legislators who have brought these laws into uh, being. And we know that they are generally going to be more conservative, generally Republicans, doing that. Um, because it is part of their, you know, again, scaring the population into crime is rampant, you're going to have to defend your house, you should carry your gun outside. Um, and this is, the, this is the country, I mean, you know, it's kind of looking like, if not the purge, it's looking like clockwork orange out there. 
know, that's, and that's disturbing. And that is a disturbing trend. And and I I, I still think that the standard of proof was not met to, to convict Kyle Rittenhouse, probably under any law of self defense. But certainly, you're absolutely right that we've we've really gone the other way, and we're making our, our streets far more dangerous um, by doing so. Tony, yeah, thank you so much for the phone call. Thanks. Hey, uh, folks, if you want to join the conversation, 515-519-6323. Uh, text us, and we'll get you back onto the program as soon as we can. Um, Charles, so, you know, is there any good that's going to come out of this verdict? Is there is there any silver lining in what for many people i mean even even you 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 even though you think that's the verdict that the jury had to reach given the law in, in wisconsin given the circumstances uh I, I still i still suspect you're not really happy with how this has all gone down no because i i'm, I'm very aware of how rittenhouse got used by certain elements of the of the right wing and continues to be used actually it's it's well, he was just on he was just on with that the most disgusting of all Fox News, uh, you know. Let me guess. Analyst Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson. Okay, right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. No, of course I'm not happy with it. But at some point, you you just can't convict people because we don't like the political meaning of it, and, or because we don't like the people behind him. Is there a silver lining in this cloud? Is there a silver lining in this cloud? Um, I'm getting. I guess I'm waiting to see what happens down in Georgia with Arbery. That you know, could, which is that's that's yeah, yeah. soon soon probably right. probably well, the, probably before this uh, program airs on some of the community-owned stations that that rebroadcast. And here again, if you want to look at the trial that I think has a lot more of the elements that are being thrust upon the Rittenhouse, the racism, racism, especially yeah. the, the the racism issue. Well, the law that they were claiming to be invoking was a you know citizens' arrest law dating back to slave times. Right. So you know um, that case, I think. I would be stunned. I'd be stunned if they're not convicted because it seems so blatant that the whole confrontation. But here again, what was the defense they're using? He grabbed my gun. Yeah, but a, a lot, a lot of people were stunned that uh, that uh, Zimmerman was exonerated in the yeah, Trayvon Martin agree. case. Yeah, I, I agree. But that again goes down to that we've eliminated that you have to retreat. It's okay that you can be the aggressor, and then when you are going to lose your gun, then you can do what you want. All right, let's welcome uh, Dell from uh, Des Moines to the program. Hello, Dell. how are you? Fine, how are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Well, I just want to add a couple of points to the conversation. Already? Uh, well, one thing was, uh, I'm wondering about the state of mind of the parents. Who would send a 17-year-old to go <laughs> out of town? I am totally with you. And then carry AR-6. I am totally with you on that. I, it, I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I mean, yeah. the, the parents don't know. Uh, from my understanding, he bought the gun illegally. as someone that was older buy the gun for him. That's correct. Now, I'm thinking of, if my parents knew that I was going to leave at, at 70 years old, I'm going to another state to get in a protest, and I'm taking this gun. My parents would have beat me. Yeah, and actually, actually, Dell, I would make the point that if 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 everyone who's yelling and screaming about the criminal trial verdict doesn't like it, then you should sue his family for exactly yeah. that fact. And do you think that might yeah. happen? I, yeah, I don't see why not. Thing. Uh, well, what they call civil. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, after civil suit, because right. uh, there are some people dead. And if that kid hadn't been there with a gun, that wouldn't have happened. Exactly. And, and, and the reason and, that he was 17, I mean, 
and tags people to bully him because he knew he was the kid. Of course. And, um, but, you know, I didn't see him bullying other people and then, and then uh, didn't shot at the same time. So that, that, I guess that was my main thing. Well, Dale, let me, let me ask you this, Dale. Let me ask you a question. I mean, there, this, uh, this was a protest based on what was perceived to be, and I think pretty clearly was a racial injustice. Um, to what extent? I have a, a seventeen-year-old myself. Yeah. So, to what extent was the? Uh, I mean, do you think the racial, the uh, origins of this um, whole conflict were those lost in the trial? Um, I don't know if it was lost. It, it, it was there every time the judge would come. It kind of, you know, you had been here and read some of the things that he would say and just some of the right. comments that, that he made. Uh, led me to believe, you know, on what side he was leaning for when he should have been, you know, a little more partial and, and my, I mean, uh, more neutral in my, my opinion of it. Right. So that, that was the main thing as a 17 year old, because I got one of his high school. There's no way in the world I'm going to let him go over <laughs> there with the AR 15 on the street. I'm glad, I, I'm, gl mm -hmm. I'm glad to know that. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Dell, I appreciate your phone call. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, hey, Charles, so we got to run to a short break here. Um, got a little more time to wrap this up. Uh, folks, if you'd like to join the conversation, again, 515-519-6323. This is Ed Fallon here in the studio with uh, Charles Goldman back in a minute after a short break. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of architecture by synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. Folks, again, Ed Fallon with you here, uh, broadcasting from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa, where it's finally gotten cold. We finally think maybe we might see snow someday. Hey, um, we're discussing the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse trial and the verdict. Uh, join the conversation by sending a text message, and we'll call you. Text us at 515-519-6323. So you can support this alternative to the right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly sponsor. Uh, check out the Fallon Forum website or contact me directly at ed at fallonforum.com. Thanks to our local business partners, including Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Klipsham knows we have to build better health for both people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's Architecture by Synthesis. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. And thanks also to Bold Iowa, building uh, coalitions to fight, fight uh, climate change and also to 
uh, pushback against the pipelines that are being used, that are being built with eminent domain. Uh, thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, where you can learn how to turn your yard into dinner. That's birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, so Charles, um, trying to wrap this up, it, there's a lot to wrap one's mind around. And again, I, I, you know, I don't see a silver lining in this. I just see it deepening the, the uh, divide in this country that um, I, I don't know where it leads. But um, I saw recently, uh, just this week, in fact, that um, I can't remember the international agency that tracks these sort of, sort of things, but uh, it looks at countries where democratic countries and assesses whether they are becoming more democratic or less democratic. And we, we just went down. And, you know, this sort of thing is not helping. <laughs> these, you know, laws that, that make this possible um, and trials that are, that are, that are I mean, I, I, I have trouble with our entire judicial system, the way it operates these days. But it just, it just seems to throw more fuel on the fire. And I don't see this as resolving anything other than exonerating a guy who many people felt should have been, you know, should have been uh, found guilty. I, you know, and, and now, of course... Uh, well, but who has blood on their hands more than beyond Rittenhouse in this? Okay, go ahead. Question, answer it. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear. It, it, it's, it's the gun fetishists. It's, it's the NRA who does it for reasons of personal enrichment, not because they have really any belief about the Second Amendment anymore. Corporate enrichment. Well, their own yeah, enrichment. Right, and right. we uh, now know what the, you know, the corruption of this nonprofit organization that may get them basically to lose uh, you know, their ability to operate in New York. And so um, I don't think there's anything good comes out of this other than for people to ask the question of, as Dell did, what's a 17-year-old doing with an AR-15? Your brain is not connected. The, the, the frontal lobe is not connected to your mid-20s. Now you're speaking as a doctor. Well, I'm speaking it just as, as developmental and, and anatomical fact, which is you don't connect until your mid-20s with the future consequences of actions. You're very much in the immediacy of the situation. And what I'm saying is, is for all the people who think it's great that we have more guns out there than people, it's a fantasy that you are made safer by guns and by widespread well, gun I mean, What about the argument that, uh, that some who are listening to this and some who may have called even, uh, we've got to be able to protect ourselves from both uh, wrongdoers. When, when, when the government decides, okay, we're not going to protect your property, we're not going to protect people involved in this protest, uh, or, we're not, we, or we need these guns to protect ourselves against government run amok. What about those arguments? I mean, they're, they're becoming more prevalent, more vocal, and the result is received well, more and more guns. It's not helped by, for instance, NPR having on uh, the author of, of the book about looting as a social justice activity, which is appropriate based on its, you know, it's, again. So wait, wait, I missed this. NPR had, they did what? Yeah. Well, this was, this was I think her last name was Overweiss who wrote the book, you know. And this, and is, this is a book that says looting is okay because it's redistribution of wealth? It, no, because it, it, it is... It is a an appropriate response to the system of oppression. It's it's one of these books where everything's binary. You're either an oppressor or not an oppressor. Um, you know, it, it it argues that, for instance, you know, one of the canards is well, when let's say like what happened in the riots after uh, the beating of, um, what's his name, who is, after the car chase in, in L.A. This was back in the 90s. Rodney King. Rodney King. Yeah. Right. And so the riots were predominantly within the same neighborhoods. You know, as 
you know, the, the mostly black indigent in, in L.A., and they destroyed their own stores, the own right. stores in the neighborhood, right? And so her argument was, well, but these stores are all part of the same system of oppression. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. you can't win. And so, so, when, so you, well, when we embrace arguments like that, what do you think people think of what progressives and liberals want? I mean, really? Yeah. It, it, it's a loser. Yeah. Because who, it's nonsensical. Who published that book? <laughs> I don't know. And why didn't, I mean, that, that does but sound... Literally, it, it, it ended up on one... I mean, I'm, I'm, I think it was good of NPR to put it on because I think people who are thoughtful have to really think how glib that is and whether that is something they truly believe in. Right. And do you think many people came away believing, hey, she makes a lot of sense? I hope not. <laughs> right. I hope not. Yeah, but well, anyway, you, you mentioned the, the the binary worldview. You're either the oppressed or the or oppressor. Or the oppressor, right? I thought we were moving away from binary stuff. Well, no, but I'm saying that's <laughs> that's kind of how this conflict is being played out. And I don't think the Rittenhouse case was ever about white supremacy. It is about our attitudes about guns. What if he had shot three black people? Then would it would it have been about racism then? I don't know. He didn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, he didn't, but... And he didn't seemingly the, look to target black people. He seemed to be reacting to to what, as people approached him. And they happened to be these three people. Yeah. Is there any hope to move beyond a um, kind of a, an identity politics perspective? Uh, I, I, I mean... Uh, it seems like, if anything, we've gotten we've we've hunkered down more in our little in our particular tribes, whether we, whether we are, you know, race, racist, <laughs> um, maybe not full out all, all you know all full blown white supremacists, but we you know we, we kind of the folks who don't trust people of color or immigrants seem to have really kind of hunkered down in their world. Some of them, many of them, and then the folks who feel very oppressed, have really uh, gone overboard on identifying themselves as oppressed. And um, Yeah, I think the answer to that, Ed, <clears throat> is to ask the question that Dell asked at the very end. What is wrong with a country where a parent lets their child go up to this situation and arm themselves with an AR-15? Right. That and, is what's wrong with And how do you country. fix that? That's a good question. All right, I don't well, know, you know. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Yeah. Oh, wait, they don't. Never mind. I'm sorry. I'm doing this as a volunteer. Hey, uh, so, uh, <laughs> Charles, thank you for joining us. Uh, Charles Goldman with me, folks. Um, and uh, we'll never let Frank call him anything but Charles again. That's right. All right. <laughs> hey, to those who uh, joined the live stream on the Fallon Forum Facebook page, thank you. Um, and especially thanks to those who called and to share their viewpoints. Uh, we can't take all callers, but we try to include as many perspectives as possible. If you'd like to be a part of the live conversation in the future, mark your calendars for Mondays at 4 p.m. Central Time. Visit the Fallon Forum Facebook page and follow the instructions on how to join the conversation. And if you're listening to our podcast or tuned in on one of the community-owned stations that run this program, stay tuned. Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farms is going to join us for our weekly farm and food segment. Back in a minute. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week, 
with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website or contact me at ed at fallonforum.com. Thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can order groceries online and Gateway also offers catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Kathy Burns is with me in the studio. Folks, welcome uh, to the program, Kathy. Uh, we do our final segment on every program, every week, on farming and food. What do we got today, Kathy? We have children of the corn. And <laughs> no! Of no. the corn and of the asparagus and of the okra and of the radishes and everything else. Does that make it scarier or less scary? I never saw the movie. I never read the book or saw the movie, but I used to teach high school English. I was teaching when that movie came out. I feel like I kind of lived a little bit of that every single day from what I understand of the movie. All right. So anyway, what, uh, I mean... Kids and kids and vegetables, uh, corn well, yeah. plus. Yeah, we we always knew that it's good for kids to be in the garden. Um, I, you know, had had three year old Quincy here the other day, and he never questions that we have chickens in the backyard. He never questions that we dig a big pit to put potatoes in, and he gets to help out with that. He found out though that we didn't have a TV. He figured <laughs> it out after three years. So he said. You guys don't have TV. Why? What's wrong with so you? I like the fact that he considers. Being in the garden, normal. Right. He also considers not having a TV abnormal, so we won't go there. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't get to see as much of my grandkids as, as you do, Kathy, but uh, uh, one thing we do sometimes with, uh, with my, my grandson, Benny, in particular, the older one, um, if we can get him on FaceTime, take him a, a tour of the garden mm -hmm. and say, Benny, what's this plant? And he, uh, he, uh, it's really amazing good. Amazing that he knows. Uh, I once showed him a an eggplant. He says, "Benny, what's this vegetable here?" And he thought, "Oh, papaya." That was for for a Florida. <laughs> That's because boy. he lives in Florida, anyway. That's right. Well, we always knew that that kids liked the garden. We we figured it was good for them to be in the garden. So I looked up a little research about well, are we imagining it or is it really true? I found some really good stuff. The Journal of Environmental Education in 2009 had a um, an article called The Child in the Garden, and uh, it, was, it was really interesting. They reviewed a lot of different studies. Of 12 of the studies that they reviewed, nine reported significant and positive impacts of gardening related to test measures, science achievement, this is in school, mm -hmm. um, science achievement in particular, and eating habits, um, 
uh, it just there were a lot of positive, yeah. very well researched and positive benefits. Well, one thing, one kids. thing, you know, I, I mean, I think it's kids naturally want to be connected to the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, there's something very gratifying about digging your hands into the soil, and I guess wouldn't you say that kind of teaches them patience? They really can't. You, you know, there's there's some instant gratification. You plant the seed, you're done, but. You don't get the product, the fruit, right? the uh, food, the fiber, whatever right. it is. And that is backed up by research, too. Oh, good. Um, there was a, 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 there's a real dirt blog and uh, written by uh, Master Gardeners of Butte County in, um, where, where the heck is Butte County? Maybe Montana, uh, just guessing. <laughs> <laughs> I would guess. Um, yep, about gardening, teaching patience, and also... Um, when they learn more patience, they have decreased anxiety, which I found very interesting. They're not worried about that, you know, what what am I going to get now? They know that things take time, and they know that it's a process, and um, they can watch for signs of improvement and watch for signs of growth. So it's, that was really interesting to me. Yeah. And I, it's good. For, I mean, I don't know if this is true in all parts of the country, but I know that there are plenty of places where you now have uh, gardens being uh, planted at schools, and that's mm-hmm. a problem if you... You know, if you recess in early June, then don't come back till late August. That's a good point. <laughs> but uh, I do know that there are some places here in Des Moines where you've got year-round school mm-hmm. where that makes a lot of sense, and the kids are, you know, getting some real benefits from that. Yeah, there are some signs of increased uh, test scores and achievement at school in general. Really? How, uh, do, they, how do they measure that? Well, uh, uh, oh, golly, another study uh, published by the American Journal of Public Health found that uh, for children, simply being outdoors in a natural mm, okay. setting could help reduce uh, symptoms of attention deficit hyperactive disorder, um, decrease anxiety, have better moods, and also um, the encouraging brain health, like skills like remembering, analyzing, predicting outcomes. Uh, and I, I like this one, learning similarities and differences uh, between, for instance, plant parts, growth patterns, food flavors, etc. So what, what would your advice be to people who want to do more to include their kids or grandkids or just neighborhood kids in their gardening activities? Well, you may or may not have a space to grow food in the garden uh, outside. If you do, great. Just let the kids help you do what you do. Let them hold the seeds, plant the seeds, uh, water it, talk about it, let them let them look at it and wait for it. Um, if you're planting inside, the same could be done in some, some small pots. But uh, other, other fun activities like you play with your grandkids, name that veggie. That's <laughs> really fun. Um, older kids who can read and write can keep a journal to keep track of their favorite, uh, favorite fruits and vegetables. Uh, they can keep track of the progress of the growth. It's kind of like doing a little scientific study on their own. Too. Can we get your kids to help uh, with the next batch of manure we need to haul, the horse manure? Do- or, would that, or, or would that be violating child labor laws? Rosie and Dahlia did help with the last batch of manure. <laughs> well, they did help a little. That's true. They did. They, they I did. think they enjoyed it. They like seeing, well, they know where the manure comes from, the horses, <laughs> the stables, and they know where it goes on the garden. And they and even Quincy knows that manure helps grow good food. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember an experience years ago when I was uh, working at, uh, at the time, my in-laws farm. And um, I was uh, harvesting potatoes. And there was a, a teenage boy. He had just moved here from some other place, some, some city. And he was just um, just kind of in awe. This is, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm digging up the potatoes. They grow in the yeah, ground? Yeah, He was like, Revelation. they're all dirty. <laughs> they're, they've, they're, they've got dirt on them. 
You know, what, what, what you? So he was he was not he You're was You're going to eat that? He was disgusted. <laughs> he could not believe. First of all, he was shocked to know that potatoes come from the ground. And then he was I'm disgusted to know that they're covered with dirt. I mean, I you know, we talked about baby carrots a couple of weeks ago, which are not <laughs> they're really just mauled carrots, but the um you know, carrots also are covered with dirt when they come out of the ground. And, they, and beets and beets, turnips, turnips and all the onions, all yeah. the things. And 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 you know if you if you if you're working in the garden you're probably covered with dirt as well. Well, that's so. another another quick aspect of that. Some of those studies was that just being in the dirt can be beneficial to help you ward off. Um, uh, it can help build your immunities and ward off ward off some uh, diseases. Is that, and that's that's uh, that's proven as well. That's that's. Uh, some studies have study, shown okay. benefits. I can't say that's proven, but right. some studies have shown well, benefits. I don't get sick that often, and I play in the dirt a lot. We both, yeah, we both do. <laughs> so no. maybe that's it. <laughs> Just keep it up. Hey, Kathy, thank you for joining us, folks. Uh, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Uh, thanks to my co-host today, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman. Uh, thanks also to today's callers. We had a bunch of callers today. Appreciate the input. And thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, also Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Westrom Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Remember, your support for this program matters a whole lot. Sign up for my weekly email on the Fallon Forum website. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.